I'm honored to be speaking today that pastor asked me. I, uh, I'm honored to be part of this church. I, uh, I've been a part of SGT way longer than I've been a pastor at SGT. I, uh, I gave my life to the Lord as like a six-year-old to Salty the Singing Psalm book, if anyone remembers Salty. Um, rededicated my life maybe 107 times at youth group um, because you're never sure if the last one stuck. Um, all at Tuscarora, just receiving that. Um, I had the honor to work here for Pastor Stephen and Pastor Mike and Pastor Matt when I was in Bible college, and uh, and this place is home. And if you're if you are a part of this community and you've been coming for some time but you haven't connected, I just want to encourage you to connect. Um, in being here for for so much of my life, I'll tell you what this really is a family. And you're gonna find hope here. You're gonna find help here. You're gonna find lifelong friends here. You're gonna find people who actually care about you here. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. Get connected, uh, whatever that looks like for you. Thank you, Pastor, uh, for trusting me to do this. Uh, he brought me on his staff. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I remember before I came on uh, on pastor's, pastoral staff, I think we all wonder, like when you have like someone you look up to, a person of faith, or, or even like a celebrity, let's say, pastor's a celebrity, we all know this is true. And, and, and like, I kind of wondered, I'm like, I wonder what he's gonna be like in like the one-on-one meeting. Like, like what does that look like? I'll tell you what, I sat down with Pastor and he was even more in love with Jesus than I thought. He was more committed to anointing and holiness and godliness than anything I'd ever seen. And um, church, I can say this as someone who's been a part of this church before I was a pastor here. We're blessed to have Pastors Arlingo as our pastor and leading this body. I, uh, I'm gonna talk today about idols, preferences, and buried treasure. Does that sound good? We're going to a lot of places today. We're gonna, we got a lot of places to go, but I'm a youth pastor, so you can trust that I'll be, in, I'll be done in like 20 minutes because my own attention span is probably about 12. So the last eight, who knows what you'll hear. <laughs> We're gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses 26 to 31. I think that'll be on the, se- on the, on the screen for you to follow. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, noth- to, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, let the one that has pride in anything, let it be in the Lord. Can we pray and just commit these moments to the Lord? Father, we come before you right now, and we thank you that you are gracious enough to speak to us. We thank you for Holy Scripture, that we can learn from this, that though it was written thousands of years ago, it is so relevant even here in 2021 in America. Father, we look to you today. I will speak imperfectly. I will tell stupid jokes. I will mess things up. 
But Holy Spirit, you will speak clearly through that. So give us ears to hear you today. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anyone love a good underdog story? Like, just like a good, I think all, every movie that we've seen is based off of an underdog story. But man, like, I love a good underdog story. We just watched Tom Brady win his seventh Super Bowl. Seventh. You know Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round? There was like a dozen quarterbacks taken before him. They were all at home eating chicken wings, watching Tom Brady win that seventh Super Bowl. He's, he, it was an absolute underdog story, and we forget it because he's on top now. And listen, I'm a Jets fan, so it hurts. I get it. And I'm assuming there are many Jets fans. Thank you. If you're here and a Giants fan, we'd like to thank you right now for what you did for us. We couldn't watch anymore. All we have is a divisional uh, playoff win against Tom Brady in 2011, and I'll never forget that night. What am I here to talk about? Um, do you, do you, rem- do you remember the first time you watched the movie Karate Kid? Like, that's, that's the Long Island story. Young, scrawny Italian kid who's going to take on these street karate guys. And he goes on and he wins the whole thing. The first time I saw Karate Kid, I was, I was so excited. I asked my parents to sign me up for karate. Three weeks later, I kicked my sister and my parents removed me from karate. I wanted to stay in. I needed to prepare because church, don't forget, Cobra Kai never dies. But I, I needed... I need to be out of karate. It's the underdog story. It's the little guy that comes up and it's like, who expected him to be the one on top? 2,000 years ago, Jesus proclaimed the words, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, this tiny mustard seed. And he plants it into the ground. It's like a mustard seed planted into the ground. But when it is grown, it is the tallest plant in the garden to the point that the birds of the air actually build their nests in it and they build their homes in it. That is the kingdom of God. Can I remind you that there's a lot of theological significance in that. But since Jesus uttered those words 2,000 years ago, the church, Christians, people who bear his name, have become the largest healthcare provider in world history. The church Churches went on, Christians went on to start the world's first orphanages. The earliest, some of the earliest universities in America, some of the schools we esteem the highest were created to teach the things of God. Consider art and all the beautiful artwork that has been done and music, Yesu, joy of man's desiring, Handel's Messiah, these songs that were written inspired by God. It has, Christianity has inundated culture. It has inspired. There's even a recent study that, 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 that's been done where they just talk about the fact that that the entire Western morality system, the morality that the Western world was based on, was based off of Pauline morality or New Testament morality and the things of God. It's crazy what the church has become. A movement that began as 13 guys traveling in the desert, preaching of a kingdom and healing people and signs and wonders has inundated every facet of our society. Just look around. This is our heritage. This is who we come from. As a church, there's a lot of weight to bear that name Christian. What it means to be involved in that lineage of saints, the great things that have been done in Jesus' name. That is our story. 
Scholars will claim that the church in Corinth, which we just read from in 1 Corinthians, struggled from what is called a cursus honorum problem. Cursus honorum. That, that's a Latin phrase that means course of honor. It could also probably be translated as path to glory. It's, it, it was basically how a young aristocrat as a young man in Rome would make his way so that at the end of his life, he would be remembered and revered and honored. And this was the idea. If you travel through Rome, you'll see plaques with people's names on them. And because Roman culture covered through so many of the churches that Paul wrote, it wrote, wrote to in the New Testament, you find the people are pursuing this. And that course of honor has been well documented um, throughout history. And there's a few ways for, for young people to work their way up that ladder so that at the end of their life, they would be remembered in honor. One was being from a significant family. Like Paul said here, noble birth. Think in America like the Kennedys. Like the Kennedys, that name carries some weight in America. Like you don't, from birth, you're kind of revered as a person strictly because of the last name and the family lineage you carry. You could be wealthy if you were a person of great wealth throughout your life. That would bring you along the cursus honorum, that path to glory, the path to be remembered as someone of honor. You could be a military hero, someone who won a great battle, who led, who led the Roman troops through a major battle. But then there were things like being a great orator, a great public speaker. Think Cicero. If you were someone who spoke like Cicero, he was like the king of Roman uh, speaking and homiletics and all that sort of stuff, persuasive speech, so much to the point that you would never have to even work a job because of how good at speaking you were. You could be generous and give to the poor. There's a long list of things you could do to work up this course of honor, this path to glory, curses honor him. The ungodliness that we read in the book of Corinthians, and if you read the book of Corinthians, it's like some 21st century uh, reality TV show, novella, whatever it is. Like, it's crazy stuff ha happening in the church in Corinth. And all of this ungodliness is believed to be rooted in the church's preference for this cursus honorum, this status system. People were able to get away with things because of that. And it's because of this that Paul stares this, this way of thinking in the face, and he'll say to the Galatian church, if I'm gonna boast in anything, if, you're gonna, if I have something to boast in, and he lists all of his accolades, he said, remember me with the cross. Remember me next to Jesus on that cross. And you know what the cross was? If we're talking honor in Rome, the cross is the picture of Roman shame. Criminals go to the cross. People who are unworthy to even keep living go to the cross. Paul says, if you're gonna remember me, if you're looking for someone who's honorable, I'm a tent maker. I work with my hands every day. I've worked for every dime. I've never asked you for a dime, church. He says, that is what honor looks like in the kingdom. It is opposite of what the world looks like. Status in the Corinthian church began to rank above morality and godliness. And I'll tell you what, this has been written 2,000 years ago, but I think sometimes things don't change. I think our tendency as humans are still to adopt the world's status system, to adopt the way that they see the world, to adopt the way that they see glory, to adopt the way that they see honor. Hey, if you're honorable in our world, what does it look like? You could probably write down five things, and what would happen if we put that next to Scripture? When we begin to idolize the things that the world idolizes, we begin to think like the world. 
When we begin to say, hey, my value is in how many followers I have on social media, that gets inside of us. And believe me, those influencers make a lot of money. I've thought about it. I'm not cool enough, but it's possible. We begin to think like the world does. We begin to value business success, value worldly success, value working up the corporate ladder above our own holiness and godliness and the things that God has asked us to do. And those things begin to actually affect the way we see our faith. When we begin to idolize what the world does, we begin to divide like the world does. There's this thing in America today that's being pro-life. Pro-life is famously known as, as being for the lives of the unborn. The mass genocide that's taken place in our nation in the unborn. The scripture proclaims that in our mother's womb, we were alive and God knew us. And this is so important. We need to stand and we need to, as a church, be willing to. And I'm proud of being a part of a church that does have ministries where yes, if you're here today and you've gone through an abortion, we have an amazing ministry here, Beauty from Ashes, and, and they would love to meet with you. And if, if shame is a thing that's taken you over, like I'm proud to be a part of a church that we're willing to minister alongside, be a resource to, but also speak against this crazy injustice in our nation. But there's also another pro-life and that's for the lives of many in our nation who have been discriminated against. Black individuals in our nation who have received on the end of our human tendency to ethnocentricity, that we want to stay with our groups. We want to be us and them. And, and this pro-life, can I tell you, it's equally on the heart of God. They're not separate, and we live in a world that would like to create an either-or system. And I'm not here today to talk politics. It's not my heart. There's a million things on both sides of the ballot, I know, and there are many decisions you have to make when you go in to vote. But what I am here to say is you cannot shove Jesus into a red box or a blue box. He doesn't fit. Christian, we already serve a king. We don't serve a president. Jesus is king. We did not elect Jesus into office. That means his ways are higher than our ways. That means if we feel like it or if we don't feel like it, Jesus is king. And if we've allowed politics to divide the church, I don't want to see what God wants to do with that at the end of time. He doesn't deal well with things that divide his church. Were you aware that almost 90% of churches in America are homogenous, meaning there's white churches or black churches or Latino churches or Korean churches, and the list goes on and on and on. Almost 90% of people would rather choose to gather with people alike themselves when scripture says that the church is to be made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. Church, we need to go together. The world needs the church. When we idolize like the world does, we begin to define success like them. We begin to hope in the world. We begin to put our hope in the world. We begin to say, if only my savings reach this number. If only I had enough, then I'd be secure and I'd be satisfied. I always laugh. I heard a speaker say this once, and, and just yesterday, me, me and my wife, Tiff, moved, we moved in uh, this past month to a new place, and so I was changing the locks 
And you, know, you have to like change the, the deadbolts when you move into a new place and all that. So, or you're changing them. And I heard a speaker say once, like, what a funny thing we do in America that our security is, I'm safe now. Everything's okay. We put our security in the things that the world puts their security in. We put our hope in those things. If only I had this much. If only I had this many followers. If only I had a significant other. Maybe I wouldn't be lonely. Maybe I would feel like enough if I just had someone who loved me. We begin to put our minds in these things. We forget that Jesus paid the highest price to give us the ultimate security, the ultimate love. Everything we need is in him. The world's values stand at odds with our kingdom. And that should not surprise us because it's not God's kingdom. Christianity has always been subversive. It's always been countercultural. But the world needs it. The world needs us. Band, you guys could start coming up. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure. The kingdom that we are a part of is a treasure to mankind that whosoever might find it receives true life. There's a cost for following Jesus. If that's all I'm here to remind you of today, that's fine. There's a cost that comes with following Jesus. It looks like a lot of things. It looks like a lot of awkward conversations at work. Serving God sometimes looks like awkward thanksgivings. Yes? Serving God definitely comes with a cost in the way that we live. It comes with a cost in our finances. I feel in this season... God is going for our preferences. He's going, there's, there's a bunch of sins listed in the Bible. We know about them. It's what Christians always talk about, all the sins in the Bible. Yes, of course. But there's something that goes beyond that. See, if you follow God out of pure obligation, if your faith in him is rooted in shame, I am sorry for the Christian living that you've had. Because scripture says, in his joy, out of a place of joy, by just looking at the treasure in the field, the man was compelled to sell everything he has, to give up everything he owned to receive that treasure. If we're going to see the kingdom in culture today, we're going to need to see the kingdom in thinking and in action. See, there are some Christians that just want to act and just want to do, and they don't stop moving, but in their mind, they're actually doing it from a place of shame or a place of obligation or because it's just the way they think. And there's also a group of Christians who would love to be like, like, like you know, what do they call them, keyboard warriors or whatever, where it's, I'm going to give you all my thoughts, but I'm not going to do. And see, the church, we need to come together in both. To see the kingdom at work, it means thinking and doing. It means believing and realizing and having faith and going out and acting in that faith. You know what the craziest part of this parable is? To sell everything he has, it wasn't even enough to purchase the treasure. He did not have enough money. Do you want to know why? It says it right there. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Why would he have to cover it up? Because if he were to say, I want to purchase this treasure, it would be worth so much more than the cost of the field. So he covered it up. It's like the shadiest investment property, right? Like he covers it up, sells everything he has just to purchase the field. Friends, we're getting a bargain on this kingdom. Everything we have is not enough, but God has chosen to receive it. The world needs this church. The world needs us so bad. There are so many hurting people. There are so many people looking for something that will satisfy. Every apprehension to surrender, I believe, begins in a place of distrust. I believe it begins in a place of distrust in who God is, a distrust of how faithful he is, distrust in the fact that he'll actually keep me safe and secure. So we hold on. We hold on to our stuff. We hold on to whatever we want to keep that we're too scared. What would God do if he saw this? What would God do with this area of my life? The wealth that we've acquired on earth, what would God do if he had his hands on that wealth? It is for joy that we give everything. It is when your eye sees the kingdom that you will receive the joy. It's good to have Christian thoughts. It's good to know theology. I've studied theology. It's good to know about the things of God. I think it's really important. It's good to come to church. It's good to do good things, right? But nothing will make you more safe or secure than when you encounter Almighty God. Nothing will make you feel more secure and satisfied than when you take a step of faith and God actually meets you there. That is where faith is built. That is where joy comes from. A person or a relationship will not save you from loneliness and isolation and depression. Only the Lord can. Money won't satisfy no matter how many things you can own and money will not bring enough security for your soul. The world's values have a pretty poor track record. All you have to do is read history, right? Look around the world. People who have everything and have taken their own lives. People who have everything and are still searching for more. We don't need more. We need Jesus. If you have big questions, if you've been searching and searching and you're like, I don't know if Christianity is the thing for me, can I encourage you to ask big questions? Ask of God big questions. Ask the Lord to speak to you. I don't say that because it preaches well or because it's good Christian talk. I say it because I believe in a God that is big enough and I believe in a God who has big enough answers. See that he will not meet you there in the areas of distrust and doubt and in fear. And if you've been following the Lord and you're here today, begin to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in me that is keeping me from fully receiving your kingdom? Is there anything that, hey, it may not even be sinful, but is there anything in me that I have just held so close and dear to my heart 
that I'm missing out on your kingdom and I'm not able to be used the way that you want to use me. Will you stand with me if you can today? We're going to worship. What's exciting about worship is it's a moment to encounter God. It's a moment for us to say, I know the distractions that will be here when I leave, but this is a moment for me and God where I could honestly say, God is something in the way. Has something been holding my mind back or my heart back or my emotions back? Is there something that you've been asking me to release that I've been too scared? I think a good test if there's an idol in your life is are you too scared to bring it to the Lord? Or is it all you're bringing to the Lord to the point that you don't even listen to him anymore? So ask the Lord today, what is it? Lord, we thank you that you're a gracious father. I recall the words of Jesus in Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would just open the door, I'd come in and eat with them and dwell with them. Those who I rebuke, those who I restore, those who I purify, I do so because I love them. Is it painful? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. God, I thank you those words were written to the church. So we say yes today, Lord. Whatever you're doing, do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.